0: You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. Today's sermon is from John 11:1 1 through 44. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when... He heard that Lazarus was ill. He stayed two days longer in that place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you were going there again. Jesus answered, there are not 12 hours in the day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant that he was taking a rest and sleep. But then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So you believe, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are Christ and the son of God who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister, Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise and quickly go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, "Wherever you, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also keep this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.
1: Let's pray. Father, we... Just wanna first say thank you for your word. Record it for us, that we would know truth, that we would know life, that we would know Christ, that we would know you. Lord, as we, as we open our hearts to your word and the preaching of your word, Lord, we pray that you would have your perfect way in every heart and every mind here helping us to understand what we cannot understand on our own. Lord, and that it would be met with faith and trust. Lord, we pray these things in your holy and good name. Amen. As has already been indicated, we continue this morning... Uh, to preach our way through the Gospel of John. Uh, Again, just as a way of reminder, the Gospel of John helps us to see Jesus more clearly. And when we see Jesus more clearly, the intent of that is to believe in him more deeply. We find this purpose, the very purpose for the Gospel of John in in chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So that is our prayer. That is our intention, working through the gospel of John, that that we all will believe in Jesus, the Son of God, and know that by believing in him, we have life through him. This morning, as has been read uh, already, we are focused on the account given to us of the death of Lazarus, and then how Jesus brings him back to life again. And so there are, this morning, just there are three truths that the Lord would have us understand from this account. There are three truths that the Lord would have us understand. So we're just jumping right into this. Number one, we are to understand this, the, the heart of the Lord In our troubles. The heart of the Lord. In our troubles. The end of chapter 10. We find out that Jesus was in the the area around Jordan. Uh, Tells us he went away. Jesus went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing And Jesus remained there. And and as was the purpose of this, it is the purpose of this gospel. It was to demonstrate who Jesus is and so that people would believe. Verse 42 of chapter 10, it says, and many believed in him there. Chapter 11 picks up the account and tells us that while Jesus and his disciples were in the, the area across from Jordan, he received a message from Martha and from Mary about their brother Lazarus. Now, we're given a little background information here about these two sisters, uh, specifically about Mary. We are told in verse 2 that it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. We are told that Lazarus was ill. And we understand actually from the choice of words they used here to describe what was happening to their brother, that he wasn't doing well. That this was an illness that wasn't going to go away. This was an illness that was working on taking life from him. And we also find in this account that Jesus had a deep connection to this family. And this connection stirred in him some deep emotions. Verse 3, in the message that Martha and Mary sent, we find out that Jesus loved Nazar- uh, Lazarus. When they told him, hey, the one that our brother is sick, the one whom you love, Jesus. In verse 5, we're told that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and their brother, Lazarus. We go down into, to verse 33. We read that, that seeing Martha and Mary and all the people who were weeping and mourning for, because of the death of Lazarus, That Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit. And he was not only moved in his spirit, it says he was greatly troubled in his heart. In verse 35, we read that in response to the death of Lazarus. And to the pain and the hurt that he was witnessing and that was all around him. We find those two incredible words. Jesus wept. Those who were observing Jesus and seeing how deeply he was moved and how greatly he was troubled, they said this, look, see how he loved Lazarus. The scripture makes it it very clear and makes sure that we know that Jesus was a man of significant emotions who could be deeply moved of heart. One of the things we have to battle, I think, sometimes in the Christian life is is reducing Jesus and reducing the Lord God as if he's only one or two dimensions. And we don't understand how much more complex he is. And sometimes it's easy to think of the Lord God as if he's distant and he's far removed from our lives and he's far removed from the things that concern us, especially when we face troubles. Troubles. It can be tempting at times to think the Lord is unmoved by our troubles. And he doesn't really see us. He doesn't really know us. Or he doesn't feel what we feel. Or he doesn't have to go through what we go through. He's just kind of absent in that way. Yet, in this account, in John 11, we have the Lord God demonstrating with strong and deep emotions. Because Of the troubles of people. He is showing real anguish here. He is showing painful groanings here. What was gripping and moving his heart? It was the troubles of his friends. It was their plight. It was the crisis they were facing. Jesus shows genuine human emotion that came from his heart. That passionately cared for his friends now notice something particular about what martha and mary said to jesus in verse 3 lord he whom you love is ill it's a little bit different thing than i would expect they would have said this is not an accident they didn't these words weren't chosen accidentally, they they don't in that moment, in that phrase, they don't appeal to Jesus because of Lazarus' love for him, but because of his love for Lazarus. It points to the love that matters first, and it points to the love that matters most, and that is the love of God. And this just highlights for us one of the great truths of Scripture. Scripture. And that truth is this, our love doesn't initiate, our love responds. Our love is a response to God's love for us. 1 John chapter 4 tells us, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And John states this even more succinctly. A few verses later in 1 John 4, 19. We love because He first loved us. Listen, our love matters, but it doesn't matter first. What matters ultimately is God's love for us. Our love wouldn't even exist without God first loving us. And demonstrating His love for us by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The love of God is often, especially in the New Testament, tied to the sacrifice of Christ for us. And that's what he's talking about here in that word propitiation. Propitiation means that Jesus' death was a sacrifice that paid for our sin against God. That's what propitiation is pointing to. Jesus died physically as a payment for the judgment on our sin. And what we find here is that God loved us first by sending his son to die for us to be this propitiation, this sacrifice for our sin. And because God first loved us, our love is a response. It's a reflex to his love. It's a reaction to his love. Our love only matters because God loves us. Because God is the one who defines what love is. Why? Because 1 John 4 8 tells us God is love. Love isn't God. Love doesn't define God. God is love. God defines love. And we understand from that, that all of his children, all of his people experience his love without limit, without hesitation, and without conditions. Yet how quickly we forget the love of God. I know, in my life it's easy to forget the love of God. I think this is one of the reasons why we, we are always teaching on the love of God. Why we're always preaching on the love of God. Why we should always be reading about God's love. Why we should be singing about His love. Why we should be reminding ourselves of God's love. Why we should be reminding each other of God's love. We pursue a greater understanding so we will have a greater experience of God's love. And in response to that, Our love increases for God. When our understanding and experience of God's love is deeper, then our love for him will grow. Like what Matthew Henry said, our love for him is not worth speaking of, but his love for us can never enough be spoken of. So we want our understanding of the Lord's love for us to ever be expanding. We want to consider the texture of that love. We want to understand the reach of that love. We want to understand the dimensions of the love of God. We want to understand the intensity of the love of God. We want to understand the strength of the love of God. We want to understand the impact of the love of God. We want to understand the power of God's love. Family, friends, God loves us. No, really, He does. It's not a superficial, warm, fuzzy kind of love either. He loved us so much, He sent His Son to die in our place for our sin to give us His life. And we are told, interesting enough... We are told in Jude chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, But you, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Keep yourself. This is a command. Keep yourself in the love of God. Immerse yourself in the love of God. Let it swallow you. Let it fill you up. Again, we hear something similar in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord, this was a prayer here, direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Why do you think these things are being said like this? Why are we commanded to keep ourselves in the love of God? Why why is it being prayed that the Lord will direct us to his love? It's because it's so easy for that to become obscure in our life. To be be difficult to see it. Again, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays something very similar. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Family, let me ask you, do you think it's important to our God that we, we grow and stay in his love? Yeah. Scripture encourages us and instructs us that we are to know the full measure and the full reach of God's love. Listen, our hearts grow cold when our understanding of God's love lags. When we don't pay attention here, where we don't go after these things to truly understand them, our hearts are easily move on to other enticements when our joy in God's love wanes or depletes. You see, family, we were created to receive God's love and then return it to Him and love to Him. We were then recreated in Christ so that purpose could be restored in us to receive His love and respond in love back to Him. And God's love for us Is essential in our life. It protects us. It defines us. It controls us. It strengthens us. That's why we read just a few passages from from God's word. Romans 5.8 But God shows his love for us. In that while we were sinners. Christ died for us. Psalm 36 verse 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold, or or see, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God, listen, who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 2 verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then again, the great passage from Romans 8. And even as Jesus here was moved with love and deep compassion for Lazarus, so he is moved for all his people. So he is moved for you and for me, for we who belong to him. And that love is a strong comfort to our hearts. Our Lord knows our troubles. Hebrews 4 talks about, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus understands where we are. Jesus understands what we face in life. He knows our troubles. He is with us in those troubles. He loves us in those troubles. His heart is stirred for us, and He acts on that. And His love is our confidence and our strength and our joy. There can be very few truths, I think, that can rival this wonderful and delightful truth that Jesus loves me, this I know. One of my favorite hymns was written actually in 1923. It's The Love of God. In this, I actually want to read the third verse. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every one a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure. How measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure, the saints' and angels' song. So in this, we understand, first, the heart of the Lord in our troubles. Second, we understand from this passage the glory of the Lord in our afflictions. When Jesus is informed of Lazarus' illness, he does something unexpected. We know how much he loves that brother, and we know how much he loves those sisters, yet he doesn't immediately leave the area and start towards Bethany. I'm pretty sure probably... If we had been there and the messenger arrives and tells Jesus, hey, uh, Martha and Mary are sending you word their brother Lazarus, the one whom you love, he is sick. I'm sure the disciples probably started gathering up their stuff like, okay, we're, we're heading out of here real quick here. But that's not what happened. Jesus doesn't start for Bethany for two days. Now, Bethany was... Probably, most likely, only about five or so miles. So it would have been one or two hour walk for them to get there. But Jesus doesn't move there, he doesn't go towards that yet. You see, Martha and Mary send word to Jesus because they believed he could make their brother well if he could get there in time. See, they had a time schedule for the Lord. They know Jesus has power, but Jesus is going to use this moment to show them that he is much more than a healer. He's going to show them that he is Lord even over death. Jesus wanted to display something glorious through their affliction, through these troubles, through their adversity. Jesus wanted their faith to go deeper and to be stronger. Verse four, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, permanent death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. See, see, the Lord was working something here. People knew that Jesus could heal. And that was their hope and expectation in this moment, that that he would show up and he would heal Lazarus. Again, we read in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 37, But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? See, but Jesus wanted their faith to go deeper. And he was going to use their affliction to show them his mighty power. Their understanding of Jesus was still limited. It was still one or two dimensional. He could teach, he could heal, and that was impressive enough. But Jesus was about to shatter their understanding of who he was and what he could do in the middle of their affliction. You see, the Lord is always working to deepen our understanding of him. God has always placed a high value on us knowing him. And growing in the knowledge of Him. I love what Jeremiah says, 9 verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not your, the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness on earth. And the Lord is using what is happening in their lives just as he uses what happens in our lives to show us not just his love but his divine power and his ability to kind of shake us free from all the expectations and, and even the boxes that we put him in. He does this through our afflictions. He does this through our adversity. He does this through our struggles. The Lord uses the hard things in our lives to demonstrate and show His love and then to demonstrate and show His goodness and grace. Our afflictions and adversity are used by God to glorify Himself. To glorify Himself. Now, let's think for a moment about that. I think we need to understand, God doesn't need us to say, hey God, how wonderful you are. He doesn't need us to say that to him. He's completely self-sufficient in himself. He understands and is beautifully at rest. He's beautifully in communion with the Son and the Spirit. There's a community there that continually encourages and feeds and builds it up. He's not looking to his creation to tell him something about himself. He doesn't know. He doesn't need our praise. Listen, the way it works in creation, the creation needs to praise the Lord. The creator doesn't actually need their praise. And when we're talking about God glorifying himself, he's talking about doing something that will, that will help us. When we see his glory, when we understand who he is, we bow down before him. We worship before him. Our hearts trust in him. That's why he reveals his glory. That's why he's seeking to glorify himself through a very difficult situation. It is to show that he is God. It is to show that he is able. It is to show that he is good. We can trust him. I mean, think about what would have changed in the hearts and the minds of those people who were involved in this account here. What was happening in John 11. Lazarus himself experienced death and then came back to life. What do you think would have happened to him after this? How about Martha and Mary? Witnessing their brother die and then live again at the command of Jesus. Imagine what that would have done in their hearts. Think about Jesus' disciples that were witnessing this miraculous power of Jesus. Think about all the people who had gathered to mourn the death of Lazarus. And then see him come back to life at the very words of Jesus. They saw something glorious. Something that would cause them to truly believe. And express awe and praise to the Lord. Because that was the right response to the revelation of God's glory. And we can be sure in our life that in all things that concern us all things that touch on us, God is at work to glorify himself, including in our afflictions. And that is what we need most. To show that he is good and true and kind and loving and powerful. When our hearts are broken, God is out to glorify himself. When we are facing suffering, God is out to glorify himself by working that situation for our good. When we are dealt a blow by life, and blows come often in this world. The loss of a job. The betrayal of a friend. Unexpected unexpected medical diagnosis. A hard-hearted child. A disagreeable boss financial setbacks, or some other kind of affliction, or crisis, or struggle. Family here, God is actually working through that for our good and for His glory to demonstrate His divine love and power and kindness. We may not always see. We may not always know the how and the why behind our affliction. Lord, why are you doing that? Or maybe expressing what Martha and Mary said. If only, if only you had come sooner. If only. We can trust God's promise that he causes all things to work together for our good. He causes all things to work together. That's like a chorus. Not just this thing out here, this thing out here all by itself. He takes all that and works it together in chorus for our good. And in that God is glorifying himself so that all might know and turn to him. And we may experience hurt and pain and suffering like Martha and Mary experience. But we trust that God is good. And will work even if we don't see exactly how he's working or where he's working. You see, how we deal with affliction has everything to do with how trustworthy we believe the Lord is. Can we trust him with our lives, even if we don't understand? That even though we don't understand, we know that he loves us, that he is good, that he has all wisdom, and that he has all power. You know, I remember the first time we took our daughter to get her, her vaccinations. She was so happy. She was such a cute baby. And then the doctor, she was just so happy there, you know. And then the shock came. And I remember looking at her face. I don't know how old she was, six months, nine months, whatever it was. And she went from smiling to this look of disbelief to this look of betrayal. Like, how could you have done this to me? Well, you know what? I couldn't communicate to her. She didn't have the ability to understand why we were doing that. That it was ultimately for her good. That we were doing what was best for her. All she knew was the pain. I couldn't help her understand in that moment that her pain was actually coming out of love and we knew that this would serve her long term. And I think in a way that helps us understand sometimes how God works in our lives. We think we can understand everything. If we just have all the details, if we just have all the facts, we can fit it together. And yet... Yet we often quote Isaiah 55, For as high as the heavens are are over the earth, so the Lord says, My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't always understand what the Lord is doing. We don't see what He sees. We don't completely know everything He's doing. He doesn't take the file of of His will and say, Here, read what I'm doing, and you will understand. What he does do is he says, trust me, look at what I have done for you in Christ. Look at the love that you have experienced by the one who took your sin and died on the cross in your place. God is at work, and though we may hurt and may think and feel, how could you, Lord? Or why did you do this, Lord? Or if only, Lord, we trust that God sees all and he knows all and that he is working all things for our good and for his glory. Where are you dealing with affliction and adversity and struggle in your life? Can we find comfort and hope and confidence in Jesus' words here in John 11? It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. For your sake, Jesus said, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. God is always working something in your life through every Not through some things, not even through most things. God is at work in everything in your life. For your good, for his glory. So we move on. Third, we also see in this passage, the hope of the Lord in our resurrection. In verses 17 through 27, Jesus speaks with Martha trying to help reassure her, trying to give her some hope, trying to kind of redirect her thoughts. Even though Lazarus had had been dead for four days, even though his body had started to decompose and probably smell, uh, none of that was an obstacle to the Lord. There was still hope. And Martha, being Martha, confronts Jesus. Actually, there's a confrontational edge to her conversations with Jesus often. He conf- she confronts Jesus and kind of in an accusing way says, Jesus, if you had been here, this, this, this wouldn't have happened. Je- Jesus, essentially, you missed it. You could have done something about this, but you didn't. And now my brother is dead. She patiently Jesus patiently assures her that Lazarus will rise again. And she agrees with that, that he will rise, he will live again in the final resurrection. But Jesus gently corrects her, says, no, Martha, you don't understand about what's about to happen here. Martha, you don't really understand who is standing before you. I am the resurrection and the life. You're looking for an event. I am the resurrection and the life. It is not some event in the future. It is a person. I give life. And that life is eternal. Yes through this. Some may die. But it is not final death. Those who believe in me. Jesus says. Will never truly die. They will enter into a rest. And the reason why scripture often talks about. Those who die in Christ are in rest. Is because you wake up from a rest. There is a death that ends in death. And Jesus is talking about a death that actually gives way to life. And that's what he's talking about here. That yes, your physical body may die. You will not die. Your death will give way to life. That's why I love the, the Sovereign Grace song. It is not death to die. It is not death to die. To leave this weary road. And join the saints who dwell on high, who found their home with God. It is not death to close the eyes long dimmed by tears and wake in joy before your throne, delivered from our fears. O oh, Jesus, conquering the grave, your precious blood has power to save. Those who trust in you will in your mercy find. That it is not death to die. You know, it's like what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 23. That we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Death, because of Christ, is a shadow. I remember reading about uh, Dr. D.G. Barnhouse. He was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia from 1927 to 1960. And Dr. Barnhouse relates a story about his first wife's death. They had had four children, and she dies soon after the fourth one. She dies from cancer. He and his children, he said, had been to her funeral service, and they were driving home, and Dr. Barnhouse said that he was trying to think of some words of comfort that he could give to his children. And said, just then, a huge moving van passed them. And as it passed, the shadow of the truck swept over the car. And as the truck pulled out in front of them, an inspiration came to Dr. Barnhouse. He said, children, would you rather be run over by a truck or by its shadow? The children said, well, of course, dad, we'd much rather be run over by the shadow. That can't hurt us at all. Dr. Barnhouse said, do you know that 2,000 years ago, the truck of death ran over the Lord Jesus in order that only its shadow might run over us? This is what Jesus is talking about here. We are not hit by the full impact of death, only its shadow. The full impact was hit, hit Christ. Death is not final. And for all those who believe in Christ, death will always give way to life. And this is our hope. And just as Jesus called Lazarus out by his very words, so he gives eternal life to those who believe in him. See, the thing is, Lazarus was raised again back to life, but Lazarus also ended up dying again. The coming resurrection when Jesus comes again will mean that death is finally and fully defeated and death will be no more. And we will be raised with incorruptible bodies that will then live forever. I said this before and I think this is good and it would be hard to to go into all this anymore right now. But, But we need to be very clear that the true hope of the Christian faith is not in the immortality of the soul it is in the resurrection of the body hear that again the true hope of the Christian faith is not in the immortality of the soul but rather it is in the resurrection of the body Listen, Christ didn't promise an existence in some kind of spiritual realm for eternity. And we certainly aren't going to be floating on clouds playing harps with spiritual bodies. That's kind of the image that our culture has. We're going to have new bodies and there's going to be a new world and we're going to exist for eternity in that. That's what eternity is. The incorruptible, the the corruptible will put on incorruption, and the, the, the mortal will put on immortality. Listen. Our hope is that Christ is going to raise us bodily again. This is our hope. This is what Christ offers. And so the question he asked Martha is the question he asks us in this very moment. Do you believe? Do you believe the heart of the Lord in your troubles? Do you believe the glory of the Lord in our afflictions? Do you believe the hope of the Lord in our resurrection? Let's pray.